And we're back. The Marshan and Oran Sports Media Podcast. I'm Andrew Marshan, sports media columnist for New York Post. He's John Oran, the media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. And we have a big show for you. We'll go who's up, who's down in a moment. Big topics, NBA All-Star Game, Olympics, NFL free agency, NFL schedule change. John had a big story this week in his uh, newsletter, uh, broke a story about what we could see in the NFL schedule, the Saudi Golf League and Phil Mickelson's comments, and a little thing on college TV free agency. And then we'll have our call of the week. The big get is Steve Phelps, the president of NASCAR. John, good to be with you as always. Always, Andrew. Let's get right to it. Let's do the who's up, who's down. Who's up? Who's down? All right, I'm going to start uh, on this one. Who's up? I have Holly Rowe. I mean, this past weekend, saw Rowe handle sideline duties for a men's hoops game in Arizona, a women's basketball game in South Carolina, a softball game at Florida State. This isn't about her travel schedule. That's something that always irritates both of us. But I'm emphasizing that because she has clearly assumed the number one role as ESPN's go-to college reporter in football and, and basketball. That's a spot that was once occupied by Maria Taylor, of course. And I just think that's worth mentioning. Yeah, Tom Rinaldi also opened up uh, some slots for her when he went to Fox Sports. All right, my who's up is NBC and the Olympics. Wait, what? what? <laughs> Andrew, they just had the least watched Olympics of all time. It's called Who's Up, and the only direction they can go is up. Right. <laughs> so that's it. That's, that was a disaster. The NBC Olympics was a disaster. We said from the beginning, this was a Bill Belichick on the Cincinnati Olympics, try to get to Paris, get past it. It was as bad as we thought, maybe worse. Ratings all-time low. Uh, they had the COVID restrictions, uh, the situation with the Chinese government, and uh, the diplomatic boycotting of the games by the U.S., Everything was against it. And then the time difference, no American stars really doing that well. And it was a total disaster. So my who's up, tongue firmly in cheek, is NBC and the Olympics. But I will say this. We're going to have this as a topic. I don't think the long-term story is as bad as some people. Like, oh, the Olympics over. We'll get into that in a little bit. But but I, but I they're my who's up because that's the only direction they can go. All right. Who's down for me? Phil Nicholson. Now, could you Two weeks in a row for Phil Mickelson is being who's down and he deserves it too. Let's hear it. Yeah. Well, last week you were, you gave him the who's down this week. I give it the who's down. If you haven't heard his comments about um, why he's in bed with the Saudi golf league. Um, I mean, it's hard to miss him. Uh, he basically said that they're murderous people, they're bigots, et cetera, et cetera, but he's doing it because he wants some uh, leverage against the PGA tour. Uh, I don't know if he's killed uh, the Saudi Golf League before it started, but I kind of think it's hard for it to come back from it. It is an unbelievable blunder uh, that will change the course of golf history. Uh, Phil Mickelson's comments and where it leaves them, it's an uh, odd, odd uh, situation now. Yeah, noteworthy to me, too, is just seeing people like Rory McIlroy going in. Phil's like an old like statesmen of golf and even people like uh, like McElroy were, were just teeing off on him, which is a, an unintentional pun. My who's down, Adam Silver of the NBA. Uh, Silver has been uh, commissioner of the NBA for about eight years. He's had in that eight year span, one of the longest 
honeymoons I've ever seen for a sports commissioner. He gets such positive press no matter what happens. And it's been, it's been a, an upward uh, slide for him for eight years. But this past weekend, during what was an otherwise successful NBA All-Star game, Silver had a couple of moments that I could have chosen from for the who's down. He is out of step with his views of reporter access in the locker rooms. But he's who's down here for me because he's overseeing a dunk contest. Let's listen to Dwayne Wade describe it on TNT. Man, this dunk contest well, you know, was a six. Man, is there a five? Is there this a... was a six. I'll tell you what. We always have a we have an off year. Even LeBron James have an off game. That's true. Okay. All right. Over top and wins contest. the AT&T slam dunk competition. You, you brought six your, out of nine. You brought your own. Uh... I'm about to flip it. <laughs> this dunk contest right here was a solid we haven't seen the viewership numbers yet andrew i'm sure it rated well nba saturday night always rates well but oof i mean silver in the nba they have to make changes because it's not a good look to have one of your premier events become the object of ridicule and the dunk contest was ridiculed all over my social feeds on saturday night all right let's get let's go bigger on this topic one let me just piggyback on what you said about the slam dunk. You had Charles Barkley the next day during the All-Star game saying that was the worst TV in the history of television. And Stephen A. Smith on ESPN saying it was an atrocity to humankind or something crazy. You know, just a, a little hyperbole from uh, Stephen A. A little hyperbole, yeah. Those are network partners saying that. And obviously, Barkley says what he wants, and Stephen A. to a degree as well. Um, so, look, they got to figure out um the dunk contest i actually like Stephen a's idea Stephen a said how about you go around the country and you find the best dunkers there are guys who never made it into the nba who just can do crazy dunks and have uh nba all-stars uh sponsor certain guys and make it for a million dollars i think that in combination with having some of the current nba guys would be kind of good i think it would raise the ante and you can't have a miss a million times so they got to improve that yeah, you know what? I like Bill Simmons's idea, which is like, let's end with a three-point shootout. That's always uh, has so much more drama than the dunk contest to me, which always sort of ends flatly. Yeah, they got to do something. It's not what it once was. It's hard to be so creative. You just can't have them miss a thousand times. That, that's the big problem. All right, let's get to the bigger topic, though, media-wise. And those are the comments from Adam Silver, which I have some of them here. Uh, if you missed them, it was the locker room access which is a big thing for reporters uh, in terms of finding out stories and, and having and getting to know players long term. He said that we have to rethink it and he's not he doesn't see it happening in the foreseeable future. Here's the quote. I think creating a bit of distance may make more sense for the foreseeable future. I also think it's a bit of an anachronism to have reporters in the actual room or players are dressing. I'm not sure if we are designing a system from scratch today. We would say, come stand next to the players at the lockers as they are dressing. And that's the appropriate forum to interview them. I was going to make Adam Silver my who's down, but I, I will, but I didn't for this reason. Uh, let's see where it goes, right? Like Adam Silver kind of has drawn a line in the sand. And if we do not cross over it and there isn't the access for reporters, it's a terrible job by Adam Silver. His point about being in the locker room when people are changing, I tend to agree with him on that part of it, right? But you need to have a real system to address 
a way for reporters to really know players. Now, the average person out there might say, whatever, you know, especially as the anti-media state that we're in. Why is that important? There's so many things you wouldn't know about athletes. Good, mostly good for the record. Okay. Some bad, um, but some true things about athletes that you wouldn't know if reporters didn't have relationships with them. And if you, if you, if you want to make that divide and just have social media be the only access to players, you're making a mistake for your league. Everything will be sanitized. And it just, it's just not good. You, you need that relationship. And it's not because I've been there. It's it just, it's better. And there's so much information that's needed to, that comes from that. Well, it's partly because you've been there. You were a beat reporter for the Yankees. I've never been a beat reporter. I've been a business journalist my whole career. Why do you need that access uh, to, to tell the stories? They can tell their own stories, right, Andrew? The, the reason players don't like it is because everything in their life basically is everyone saying yes to them. Uh, and then you have idiot reporters like me coming in and saying, like, why did you get a hit there? Um, hopefully a little better question than that. And so that's obviously if they, they're like, well, we could take this out of our lives. People who run these leagues have to realize that you need that. Right. And the, the example I always use is sports that aren't as popular as say soccer or hockey. Right. Which have a, a good amount of popularity. But. They want as much in the United States, I should say, United States, they want as much coverage as they can get and they'll give access everywhere because they know how valuable it is. It's still really valuable to the NBA to have the New York Post have access to their people and be able to tell the story of the Knicks and really have inside information. And for the teams, if you if you're if you have someone who's looked upon mostly as trying to be fair and objective, telling your story, you can actually get your message out easier and cleaner than if you're just telling and it's basically propaganda um, that doesn't work. So I think it'll be a mistake by these leagues. If again, if you want to try to figure out a system that's better where there's still casual access and not just everything at a podium, it's just going to be, that's going to be stale and you're going to lose a lot um, in terms of the, um, the coverage, the amount of coverage and the ability to find out things that you would never find out first. So if you want one example, I'll give you, I'm not saying this is a this isn't the Pentagon Papers, but when I covered the uh, Yankees, Aaron Judge is one of the biggest players in baseball. Just from talking with him one day, I found out that when he at the beginning of the game he puts in a piece of gum, right? Then he doesn't take out that piece of gum if he gets a hit his first at bat. He gets a hit a second at bat, doesn't take out. He chews that gum until he doesn't get a hit all day. We ended up. I wrote a story about it. We did a Sports Center feature about it. It's an interesting little thing that perhaps he would have Instagrammed or tweeted or somebody would have found out about maybe. And it's not, I'm not even saying it's an important story. It's just a story that would not have happened if I didn't have a relationship at that point with Aaron judge, where we're just talking and, and you get to those type of things, which um, I guarantee you there's little leaguers to this day who are not, you were chewing their gum the whole game. Uh, and that's where the game has grown. And you just lose that if you don't have that connection. You know, Andrew, I wouldn't be me if I didn't bring this back to regional sports networks. Okay. And, and, and I think that it's seductive. You see LeBron with how many Instagram followers does he have? It's, it, it's in the uh, tens of millions Instagram followers. And it becomes seductive of like, why do we need this local paper to come in and tell the stories? The media has moved on now. We have, we, we can talk directly to our fans. We don't need the middleman. And all of the leagues, the NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball, they depend on regional sports networks for a lot of their marketing. All of their games are on prime time every night, just about, you go and you watch them. As the RSNs start to contract, 
And as they, they start to try to figure out this direct consumer, they're going to need to market their games again. They're going to need to market people to come and actually buy instead of getting a cable subscription, say, I want to buy Washington Wizards streaming. That's going to be tough. You need that local access there in order to, to build up the, the, the local marketing. Because right now, the way they're, they're looking at it, LeBron James with, with his followers or uh, Kevin Durant, like that's a very national story to tell. And it's not going to help these local teams at all. No, it's a great point. It's free publicity. You're right. To sell their games, sell their products. Um, and uh, to limit it, you're, you're going to probably eliminate jobs eventually. It's already happened. I mean, there's been a constriction of you know, newspapers and, and media that cover teams daily um, already. And the other thing, last thing, like, look, I, I, I do agree with Silver. Like the idea that we're in the locker room when people are changing just doesn't make any sense. I mean, that just, to me, it doesn't. Uh, the problem is, is that to get the players out into where they're supposed to go, the PR people don't always have control to get these guys to, to, to be able to do that. One other point, though, is that most of these new stadiums and arenas basically have two locker rooms. So guys don't have to dress in front of their like the Yankees have like a separate locker room. So, you don't if a guy chooses to dress in front of his locker. That's his choosing. But they can go dress in a second place where they don't have to be. Nobody really watches. That's the other thing. Nobody's looking at these guys. Uh, you know, you know, any professional is looking at uh, people getting dressed. Well, it confirmed every reporter's worst fears that they're going to use COVID and the restrictions coming about uh, from COVID to make it more permanent. So hopefully they come up with some sort of solution or backtrack a, a, a lot on this because it is something that, that we both feel is, is necessary. Yeah, we'll show the strength if Adam Silver has the strength to fight that fight or if he doesn't. I mean, obviously, the players, they're, they're young guys. They, they, you know, it's easier probably for them to make, you know, to not have it. But I think you have to look at it for the long term health of the league. If uh, other sports give more access, they, you know, they could get over time. They may get more coverage uh, if it's not, you know, if you can't really get inside the story. All right, let's move to the next topic. The Olympics. Already who's up um, because it's the only direction they can go. Give me your takeaway. Let me just start with this, though, John. I don't think the Olympics are in trouble. Um, I think that they'll bounce back. I think this was a unique circumstance that was just awful uh, for NBC, and they had to get through this cycle. I'm surprised by the number of people saying that the Olympics are in trouble. The Olympics aren't, aren't, aren't in trouble. Just wait for uh, – I think Paris is going to be huge. Just wait for LA. That's going to uh, blow the box office, so, so to speak. It's it's it, it, they're going to be fine. As far as these Olympics, I'm just going to focus on on the positive uh, right, right now because it it was a disastrous Olympics, worst viewed ever. Um, you know, NBC didn't even send all of its talent to or any of its talent really to a. To, to Beijing. It was, it was a disaster. It was so bad. It was so bad that you were ripping on Dan Masonson, PR VP uh, for NBC. That's how bad it got. Uh, and I didn't even feel bad about that either, Andrew. A so, lot of people, big talk in the industry though. All right. So number of people are on, they're like, oh gosh, I'm on alert. Uh, Orient's coming for me. I uh, did have one PR person come up and say, please don't ever do who's down for me. I was like, no, come on. No news. The, 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 the best publicity you can get. You're being exposed. This podcast is exposed. John Oren is a bad guy. <laughs> All right. So point number one is Peacock. I don't want to say it was a disaster. It wasn't a well-received last year from Tokyo. They made some changes. They put all the sports on there. Uh, I didn't see any complaints in my social feeds on it. 
when I when I navigated through Peacock myself, I thought it was easy to navigate. I think they figured out Peacock. I haven't seen the numbers on this. I'm sure they got a big bump in subscribers to Peacock. And as everything is going to streaming, I think this really worked out well for NBC Universal and their streaming service, Peacock. And then number two, you know, when when Bob Costas left and was replaced by Mike Tirico, one of the fears was that it, Mike Mike Tirico wouldn't want to wade into some of these geopolitical uh, things that that Costas did. Costas was known for going. He went to Sochi and 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 you know went on air, sort of talking about the uh, the Russian government. And a, a lot of eyes were on Tirico to see how he would do it. And I thought that he held Costas's mantle very well. I th thought he was very strong. He he appropriately went into uh, some of the problems with uh, with China and with the IOC. And uh, you know, credit to Molly Solomon, credit to, to Mike Tirico. I think that that was one question that, that was really answered well. No, I think you nailed it on both of them. I think Peacock's a plus for uh, for NBC going forward. And you're right, Tirico. Uh, you know, again, that that hosting role now is kind of a lot of you're just kind of sending from one event to another. But he did speak out uh, at the end. Um, about a terrible situation with uh, women's ice skating, which is really girls ice skating. We're talking about a 15 year old, uh, you know, in terms of in the middle of everything uh, there. He had some strong statements. So, so that was good. All right, let's go to the next topic. The NFL. Um, we'll start quickly on free agency. Uh, one thing I want to say, you know, Sean McVay, his fiance has come back out and said she, you know, everyone wants to cover sports media. And his, her, his fiance said that. Uh, he's not going to retire. He's going to coach. Uh, that seems like that's the way it's going. I still think McVay to the booth will be a story over the next three years. I will say one thing, one uh, item that you know, I kind of been saying, I think he'd get 10 plus million dollars. I'm not positive about that. You look at when Romo came out, um, he first got a contract that paid around three, three and a half million dollars per year. Then he got up to the 18 million. I think he could do, he would, he would Sean McVay would do much better than that. Uh, probably six to eight million dollar range, I'd say, but not maybe the ten plus million dollar range if he wanted to uh, to be an analyst because there's just the he hasn't done it yet um, aspect of it. Andrew, I just want to make one thing clear here: you are not sitting here saying that you think Sean uh, McVay should go into broadcasting. You're actually talking to, to uh, network executives who have their eyes on this guy. I mean, he, he has a big Yeah, they all want him. They all would like, if he if he said tomorrow, I want to be a broadcaster, you know, kind of like Sean Payton, but he'd have much bigger market, um, especially with the all, you know, the possible moves that we're still uh, seeing what's going to happen with Troy Aikman, you know, talking to Amazon and Fox and ESPN, uh, possibly um, an option for Aikman to go there, Al Michaels as well. And so all that movement, if McVay said, hey, look, let me put myself in the, uh, arena he could be a number one analyst next year just the amount of money he would get as compared to what he'll get coaching for next year is different now again he said it a number of times that he wants to start a family he's not going to be a coaching lifer it, he did a podcast with peter schrager uh there's a lot of things pointing that the uh, espn talked to him two years ago about going into the monday night booth so there's a lot of things that point to the direction of uh, mcveigh ending up uh as an analyst on tv in the real near future um it's just the amount of money right now uh he's probably he's going to get a raise from his eight and a half million from the rams most likely if they renegotiate his deal uh and so uh the money might be significantly different but then two years from now again five million dollars to work much less is is you know you could look at it as better than 15 to work 24 7 so that's going to be mcveigh's um decision 
you had a big story. NFL schedule changes. Uh, you had a lot of stuff. Give me, give me your top three highlights in terms of uh, your story the other day about uh, the NFL and the possible TV schedule changes. Our most read story on sportsbusinessjournal.com, Andrew. This coming season, Christmas Day falls on a Sunday, NFL Sunday. Instead of doing a whole slate of games on Sunday, the NFL is going to move them to Saturday. But I do know that Fox and CBS have petitioned the NFL to try to get a late afternoon window Christmas Day on Sunday. Uh, that would lead into, of course, a Sunday night football game that's going to be uh, on NBC. But uh, the, the one that potentially is going to be the most hurt by this is the NBA, because we, we saw what happened last year with the, uh, the Browns-Packers game. Just got the, It was on Christmas Day. It got one of the top 10 audiences in all of television for the year. And uh, that's good. They're going to take some viewers uh, from that. Um, another one is uh, ESPN and ABC. They're going to have a double header. Uh, one of the first, maybe four weeks of the season. And it's going to be unique. It's not going to be a simulcast of a game that was on ESPN. It's going to be simulcast on ABC. Instead, they're going to have a kickoff on one of those games, say at seven o'clock. And then they'll kick off the other one at like 8.30. So they'll be competing with each other, even though they're both Disney-owned um, uh, channels. Amazon's made a little bit of noise. They were talking to the NFL to see if they could have a game on Black Friday, the game the, the day after uh, Thanksgiving. The NFL most likely is not going to do it, at least not this year. Uh, a couple of reasons. One is they are, they're already have three games on Thanksgiving, a game on Sunday night, a game on Monday night. There are only so many games you can you can parcel out there. And also they don't they don't play on Fridays when high schools play and when colleges play. And I, I think that's something that the, the seasons are still going on. And I think that they're conscious about that as well. Yeah, because there are a lot of Friday after th- you know Friday afternoon or mid-morning games around the country in terms of high school. Remember next year Amazon will have the exclusive rights uh, to Thursday night football, except for Thanksgiving. Yeah, that was one they should next time. Uh, Jeff Bezos should probably go for it, try to get that Thanksgiving day game. That's a big one not to have. Yeah, Thursday night on Thanksgiving is act Sunday night to the NFL. It's considered part of the Sunday night football package. Yeah, it's, uh, it's always weird. It's like when they do, um, it's like a Monday night game on Saturday, and then they call, call it Monday night football on Saturday. It's I get it why it's for you know sales purposes. All right, speaking of sales, next topic. Saudi Golf League, Phil Mickelson, holy cow. Uh, Alan Shipnick uh, has the quote of the year, maybe. Um, who used to be a Sports Illustrated writer. Now uh, he's written a lot of books and has his own website and company. Uh, he gets the quote of the year from Mickelson, which I guess he's had since November uh, about you know doing the uh, possible Saudi Golf League. He said that... Um, he knows they're terrible people and they kill people and they're bigots and they're all this stuff, but it's worth it because I want to get leverage against the PGA. Uh, yeah, that's not good. Oof. <laughs> the Saudi golf league that, that started a big descent. Uh, the PGA tour has done a good job of getting its top golfers to commit to the PGA tour. But even if they didn't, this, the Saudi golf league, it, it's going to have problems in the U S solely because uh, NBC and CBS own PGA Tour rights. ESPN owns PGA Tour rights. Discovery, which is about to buy Warner Media and TNT and TBS, they own PGA Tour rights over in Europe and, and internationally. And Fox just got out of golf. They they, they have no, they have no interest in, in, in sort of getting back in golf. There is no place 
in the and the U.S. media landscape for a, a, a an upstart league that is going toe to toe with the PGA Tour. The PGA Tour has done a really good job of getting ingratiating themselves with all of these media companies. So how does this play out? Because like what I, from what I've read, right, is the money already committed to this league? Like and like credit? I like I don't even like is I, this isn't going to happen? I don't know if I, I don't know. I don't foresee this. How if they don't have any players, you can't do it, right? I mean, Phil can't play by himself. If I'm a betting man, which I'm not, I would bet that this is going to happen just with with people who we don't recognize. Golfers that that hardcore golfers might recognize, but a casual fan like like me wouldn't recognize. The Sally Golf League certainly has a plan B. I can't imagine that they didn't expect this to happen uh, moving forward. They've already committed gobs of money to to this. I mean, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars already to this. I can see it going forward, whether or not it gains any traction. I, I, I can't see that happening in the, in the U.S. I don't know where, who would run it in the U.S. Well, yeah. And you, well, you know what? The, you're right. They get some players. They start making a lot of money. Other players might say, hey, you know what? Maybe I'll go for that. And people forget Phil's comments. And uh, it seems kind of bad. All right. Last topic. College TV free agency. A couple of names I'm hearing who are out there could land um, jobs. Ed Orgeron. Uh, former LSU coach, national championship winner, and then former Go Florida. Tigers. Yeah, you got to say it. Yeah, let me hear it. Go Tigers. They're not bad, but I'm not going to try. Uh, <laughs> Come former, on, man. No way. Uh, I, I do one impersonation, and even people on Twitter tell me <laughs> it's not good. So, and I agree with them. They're not wrong. All right. The floor in the Florida, former Florida coach Dan Mullen, look for him, probably SEC Network, ESPN hot and heavy for Mullen. Um, so uh, those are two coaches to watch in terms of maybe being on your TV next year. Or Orgeron uh, is an interesting one because of the unique voice. Um, does it cut through? Um, does have a big personality. So that'll be interesting to see where he ends up. Hey, man, let's get right to the big get. I'm, uh, I'm excited for this one. All right, let's bring in Steve Phelps, John. All right, Andrew, I am particularly excited about our big get this week. NASCAR president Steve Phelps, just the fifth person to lead NASCAR as president. At, at, at SBJ, Steve, we've been covering you for just about your entire career. You start, started in the business with the NFL. You spent 14 years there, went to Wasserman, landed at NASCAR in 2005, and has been president of NASCAR since 2018. Steve, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, it's a pleasure to join you both. You are coming off of what has to be the most successful Daytona 500 in years. The first time in three years where there was no rain. It was a close race. It was a rookie uh, battling one of your best known racers. You had some crashes, which always helps out ratings. (laughs) What's your mindset after a race like that? Do you just breathe a big sigh of relief? Well, listen, it's kind of crazy when, you know, our sport's so dependent on weather um, so we had two weather impacted races in 2020 and 2021. It's hard, you know, you have all that preparation and then you're just kind of waiting for mother nature to, to dump a bucket on you. And it's, uh, that's tough. Um, so the last two years were very difficult, but this year has been fantastic. And then we had the added bonus of having the LA Coliseum two weeks earlier. And that was a huge success and just a lot of promotion, from our friends at Fox and just an amazing amount of energy, um, you know, within the industry. So uh, it felt great 
to have a, a green flag when it was supposed to be a green flag and a checkered flag when it was supposed to be a checkered flag and just some great racing in between. What is a day after like? Are you on pins and needles waiting for the ratings to come out? Are you looking forward to next week? How does that work for you? I think the good news, listen, we had to live with two very difficult ratings in a row in 2020 and then 2021. You know, we finished at 12.15 in the morning uh, in 2021. So listen, we, you know, we know the rating is going to be, you know, when the, the finals come in, it's going to be a massive increase, you know, 65, 70, 75% year over year. It's great to start that. Our class was up 150%. So, you know, it's nice to, to get those in the bank early, but yeah, I mean, the, the Daytona 500 kind of sets the, on an annual basis, sets the stage for, you know, where we're going to go. And, it's a great opportunity for us to, to get some casual fans to sample us early. And then they'll go with us, you know, as we head to, to California this week and then on to Vegas and then on to Phoenix over the last, over the next three weeks. Now, Steve, you have deals with Fox, NBC on, on, on broadcast. Um, when you look at your approach to your upcoming negotiations, um, how do you look at it in terms of um, balancing, you know, broadcast, digital, there's a lot of opportunities now. How do you look at it um, as the president of NASCAR? Yeah, I mean, for us, we have a couple of different things, Andrew. I think one, we have to make sure that we're doing our part to, you know, to maximize the revenue that we'll get for the industry for whatever the, like the term will be eight, 10 years. Um, and I think we've done that, right? So we've been a very steady sports, sports property since 2018. So essentially flat well where most other sports are down you know either because of hot levels being down or just interest level being being down in those sports so for us we've done our part on that on from that perspective but also driving ad sales and having sell out uh sell out their ads and then really looking at a significant schedule variation which has helped as well so all those things i think are important as it relates to the second half of your question, or I guess the original question, Andrew, around, you know, kind of that, um, how we look at the digital world versus over the air versus cable, um, and really kind of look at it as we look at the potential partners that we, um, you know, that the, the partners that we have today, you know, Fox and NBC look at that world very differently based on, you know, Fox really having 2B, so it's not really a it, you know, kind of a real direct to consumer play as, as NBC has with Peacock. Um, our sports, very important uh, to make sure that we have significant eyeballs. It, the team model is, is very dependent on sponsorship. So we need to make sure that whatever partner that we would move, you know, that we would go to or um, stay with or move to, there wasn't any foreshadowing there, I promise you. But we need to make sure that, you know, over, over the air is an important part of what that will be. And then it really comes down to, all right, what is direct to consumer versus cable look like? And, you know, we've got a little bit of time there to continue to see what happens in the cable universe. We're obviously making the switch in the second half from NBCSN to, to USA, um, you know, broader distribution, you know, I think the migration of the sports properties over there, particularly by the time we get there, it'll be, we'll be in good shape. Um, but it's, um, you know, we'll have to see how that goes. Um, I, do I believe there's a, there's a world for us in direct consumer? Um, I do. Um, the question is, what's that balance between over the air cable and direct consumer? 
you mentioned eight to 10 years. Why that term are you looking you know, at? I think for us, the stability is important. So we've just come, we will be coming off a 10 year deal. You know, it seems like the deals that are getting done, particularly with the larger properties are, are in that kind of range. Um, so I'd be surprised if it, it wasn't in that eight to 10 year range, but you know, listen, nothing's, nothing's been decided for sure. Steve, you have three full seasons left on your, your current deal. Uh, but all, all appearances are that you're going to start negotiating the new one at the end of this season. Why, why are you going so quickly on this? Why not wait and, and to see how everything shakes out? Yeah, I, I don't listen. I, this is probably something I'm not supposed to talk about. I think that, you know, our kind of window opens in 2023 to have discussions. So um, and they're exclusive um, with with Fox and with NBC. Again, I don't think I'm giving anything away there, but um so that's really it. And I think like most properties, we want to give ourselves the time necessary in order to strike the right deal. Um, but again, as I said before, for us, it's really about making sure that we are delivering what we need to deliver. I think 2022 is going to be the best year that NASCAR has had on television in a long, long time. Um, and that, that certainly bodes well as we head into negotiations. Steve, we also, if there's other stuff that you're not supposed to say, ahead, please say, say it. it all right. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'll see, I'll yeah, see three, two, one, go. <laughs> That's all right. You know, when I view NASCAR uh, and its whole history, it, it's a television sport, you know, CBS back in the day, you know, if Fox has had it for, uh, you know, as long as I've been covering it uh, pretty much. As you look at the, at the TV landscape, are you hoping to get like the digital companies, you know, like the Amazons or the Apples to to start to kick the tires as well? Or do you consider yourselves primarily a, a, a TV, um, just like the NFL does? You know, they're, they're, they're a broadcast TV league. We don't have as much inventory, frankly, as the stick and ball sports have that will that allow them to really look at a direct to consumer play as a major outlet for them. So ours, I would see more as a supplement. I talked about the importance of, of network television to us. Believe that to be something that needs to be part of who the future of our sport is. And, and that's good on two levels, frankly. One, it helps with both eyeballs, but I think it also helps with making sure you have an opportunity to refresh your fan base and, and create that casual fan and bring more avidity. With that said, on the other side of the coin, if you know if young people are really, you know, adopting direct to consumer, then you need to make sure that you have a play for them as well, right? Because we want to be where people want to be, right? So if they're consuming on over the air, that's where we want to be. If they're consuming on cable, we want to be there too. If they're consuming on direct to consumer, then we want to be there as well. And I think there are opportunities for us to do that with our three national series, plus some of the other series that we own, frankly. Um, and so. Again, I don't think there will be a radical shift as we think about it. Do I think there are streaming companies that will be interested in NASCAR? I do. Now, when you look at innovation in terms of what you do, you guys do have a lot of access. Where do you think, what's the next innovation that you see in NASCAR in terms of the broadcast or even digitally? Where are you going next? Yeah, I mean, for us, I think if you think about television and innovation from a technology standpoint, one of the first sports to do that, frankly, was NASCAR, right? Telemetry that comes off the car, I think is really important. Different camera angles. You know, it's our expectation that all 40 cars in the field for our next-gen car, ultimately, you know, probably by the playoffs this year, we will have 
cameras in all 40 cars. Um, and that'll be a really cool thing because you're able to switch to wherever the action is. Um, and I think that'll be a really cool thing. And then just the increased, you know, the car connectivity um, and the, the data that will come from the car that is kind of the next iteration um, or the next evolution of what that innovation looks like, all frankly, just to bring the fan closer to the sport. Now, is ESPN, when you left them, they, they did this with hockey too. They sort of don't cover things as much. Um, how important is that to you in terms of having ESPN involved? Yeah, listen, I, I think ESPN, like they did a great job covering the Daytona 500. Um, you know, they had an E60 on, um, you know, on Bubba Wallace. That content's really important for us. You know, as we look at, a frankly, a Bubba Wallace Netflix um, that comes out on February 23rd. Those things are really important. The content coverage is hard, right? So they they have a switch to hockey and, you know, lo and behold, there's more hockey, right? Um, and, you know, would we like to see him cover us more? Yeah, we would. And and they cover big races for us and, you know, Marty and uh, Marty Smith and Ryan McGee and they do some things and some others, you know, they, they've got some experts in the space that are frankly got great credibility and, um, and are authentic. Uh, to our fan base and they're they're big right they're they're an important part of of sports news and you know we'd love to see them cover us more you know you referenced uh bubba wallace's netflix uh show of course f1 had that show that a lot of people believe helped goose the ratings and uh of course it helps a little bit how much do you think this show is going to help out nascar for its overall ratings performance yeah, it's interesting. I, they, I was listening in the car to SiriusXM, uh, the NASCAR channel, on the way up from Orlando up to Daytona today, and they were have different languages. And one of the languages they had on there was Portuguese. And the guy was talking about in por- Portuguese, but I don't speak Portuguese, but and he actually thought Bubba Wallace won the race, and you could hear this like this joy in his voice about Bubba Wallace winning the race. Bubba Wallace pode ganhar a prova. Sensacional. Depois de ganhar em Taladega no passado, absoluto. Absoluto Bubba Wallace, que coisa. Da Cinec aí na frente. O Cinec passou na frente. O Cinec passou na frente. Perdão, o Cinec passou na frente. Então o Austin Cinec acaba ganhando. And then they're like, oh, oh, he didn't win. Um, you know, I think Bubba's a crossover star for us, right? If you look at the journey that he had and really, you know, back to 2020 and, you know, the, the death of George Floyd and the stance that the sport took on social justice and Bubba really at the, at the forefront as the, as the lone um, black man racing in our top series. Um, and then the banning, banning of the Confederate flag and then the noose incident in Talladega and, the show of support that the, the sport showed to Bubba. But Bubba has emerged as a star. Um, and the one thing he needed to do as part of this was to win, uh, which he did at Talladega last year. How ironic is it, Talladega? Um, and that, um, you know, the young man who won, Austin Cedric, um, is a great, great young driver and a, just a quality, quality young man. Um, and, you know, Bubba Wallace will get his turn again for his second win. Um, but Bubba's, uh, Bubba's going to be a star. And I think you see that already. And, you know, he races for one of the most iconic athletes uh, in the history of sports, Michael Jordan. And that's a good thing for us. And we've really 
seen that development of minorities and minorities. In fact, we had for the Daytona 500, either majority or minority owners with four different teams that were owned by, by black men. Um, and that says a lot in this day and age, right? When you consider some of the other issues that are going on with some of the other sports, um, to have that many owners involved in our sport that are people of color, uh, you know, plus a pit bull. I mean, it's a, it's a, these are good times for NASCAR for sure. What does that do for your sport? Does it help you expand the sport? I think it has done exactly that. So as we're, John, as we're thinking about, you know, expansion of, of getting younger and, more, uh, younger and more diverse of our fan base, which we are, um, you have to start at home. It starts with an employee base. It starts with our athletes. Um, and then new owners that are younger and more diverse is something that we are, we're seeing it anyway. Obviously, we're desirous of it. We want to see that trend continue. And I think it will. Um, and as you, you, you know, Michael Jordan is a, you know, a household name around the world and them understanding that he is a team owner in NASCAR, it's a big deal for us. Um, and Floyd Mayweather and Emmett Smith and Brad Doherty and some of these other, um, you know, sports figures who are, you know, they bring a crossover audience to NASCAR. And I think importantly, we're looking at it where we see both young people as well as people of color who are looking at our sport saying, I didn't think this sport was for me, but I was wrong. It is for me that they're welcoming, they're inclusive, and they want me to be here. And we do. Uh, I want to wrap it up with one final question. Uh, Steve, you grew up in Vermont. Uh, I'm assuming you grew up as a NASCAR fan, right? I did. Yeah, I've been going to NASCAR. I went to my first NASCAR race with my dad when I was five years old. Who was your favorite broadcaster as a kid that you would listen to calling NASCAR races? Um, it's had to be Ken Squire because he's also from Vermont, uh, but he is the most iconic um, sportscaster or, or from a NASCAR standpoint. You know, he did the the big race in in 1979 on CBS, and uh, not only is you know Ken just the most iconic NASCAR sportscaster of all time, but he, but he's also a friend. So uh, it would, it would absolutely be Ken Squire. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Ken Squire um, going from watching him as a kid to, to being buddies with him. That, that, that's cool stuff. Uh, Steve, thank you very much um, uh, for joining us and, and good luck with your negotiations. And like I said earlier, um, you know, there's things you don't want out there. Just tell us, so we'll put it out there for you and you don't have to I'll keep you it. guys posted, Andrew. You're the president. Andrew, thank You're you the so president. Much. Who's going to yell at you, Steve? Come on. <laughs> there are plenty of people. Trust me. <laughs> Andrew, that was great. He was as open as any executive that, that we've had on here. My one takeaway, look for broadcast TV. He, he was pretty clear. If you read between the lines, you know, he's hoping to get the digital companies in to help get the, the rights fees going up a little bit. But he wants NASCAR to be on broadcast television. Yeah, and he seemed pretty happy with Fox and NBC. I mean, you can't draw too much into that, right? I mean, I'm not crossing anybody off the list uh, just yet, uh, but he did seem pretty happy with what uh, NBC and Fox have been doing. Uh, and the coverage has been good, and the ratings uh, you know, for Daytona were tremendous, way up. Uh, so uh, that's a huge plus uh, as he goes into this. Um, but uh, it does sound like we'll get a deal probably by the end of the year. All right, John, let's end it with our call of the week. Call of the week. 
It comes from the end of the Michigan-Wisconsin game, um, which CBS was signing off the air. Uh, and then their producer, Craig Silver, the director, Suzanne Smith, uh, in coordination with the folks back in New York at CBS headquarters, their bosses, they stayed on the air. And then I thought Andrew Catalone was all over it in terms of describing the scene in the moment. 77 to 63. And Juwan Howard not going over immediately to shake hands. Now he's going to get in the line. Interesting finish here. 77. Oh, see, and they're going at it. Oh, yeah. Howard and Guard are not happy right now as the two of them continue to have words. We told you Jawan Howard was not happy about that timeout. Yo, and Jawan Howard just threw a right hand. And now we got a scrum. We have a scrum in Madison. Players are pushing and shoving. This is an ugly scene. This is an ugly scene. Oh my God. Trying to get separated, and there's no doubt it all stems from the timeout by Greg Gard. Now that's not an excuse for this, but that is what angered Jawan Howard, and it spilled over into this. And you saw Howard and Greg Gard nose to nose. I knew, I knew he was, I wouldn't be happy either, but there's no excuse for this. Absolutely not. Zero excuse. Zero. This cannot happen. I can't give enough credit to Andrew Catalone, who prepared us for what was happening, described what was happening. He had to be feeling some sort of tension because the music was coming up. And I just thought that he, he, he recognized early that there was potential and I thought he did a, a, a great job of keeping me as a viewer watching at that moment because something might have happened. Your inflection of your voice for announcer is almost as important as the words. And he got a little bit louder when needed. He recognized the moment. And, you know, it's a split second thing. And to me, the game, it turned into a news event. It was you know, very slow, you know, time of year. So it became one of the biggest, probably the biggest sports story for a couple of days here. Um, and uh, Catalone just, they, they nailed it. And there's a lot going on there. You could just go off the air if you're not, you know, kind of um, on point there and focused and CBS was so a plus for them on that. Yeah, John, that's going to do it. We want to thank our guest for the big get NASCAR president, Steve Phelps. And uh, John, as always, I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening, everyone.